so much for ministering to us, blessing our hearts and souls with your excellent ministry. Hallelujah. 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 Judge Strong, good to see you in the house of the Lord. Could we stand for the reading of the word of God? Stand for the reading of the word. Psalm one, the first psalm. Blessed is the man. The Revised Standard Version says, happy, happy is the man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You may be seated. Some of you may be familiar with a song by Pharrell Williams. Title of the song is Happy. You can admit that you know the song. <laughs> Happy. Literally has taken the world. Great song. He said in that song, one phrase that impressed me, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. And I said, oh yeah, oh yeah. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. And also in John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so happiness is the truth. <laughs> it's something that everybody wants. Not everybody agrees on what it is. A high can be obtained, but everybody wants happiness. 
To some, happiness is thought of as the satisfaction of man's physical needs. And if man's physical needs are met, then a man will be happy. If he has good health, ample, adequate, and satisfactory food, housing, clothing, comfort, rest, sexual gratification, then they say a man or a woman will be happy. But to others, happiness is all that with the dimension also of wealth and luxury and the ability to obtain all of one's earthly, material, physical, aesthetic desires and aspirations. And so it is the meeting of needs and then also the meeting of all of one's desires and longings and aspirations. Man's desires frequently exceed his needs. Am I right about it? As a matter of fact, when given a free reign, man's desires can reach tremendous and overwhelming proportions. But for many, they define happiness as the satisfaction of their desires. And they say, if I could just get what I want, then I'll be happy. Since these two definitions correspond with the definitions accepted by so many people, we've, asked, we've got to ask whether these are true definitions or not. And if true, whether these are attainable definitions are not. And we must conclude that they are not true. And we must also conclude that they are not realistic definitions because in the case of the first, so many whose physical needs are totally provided for are not happy and do not consider themselves to be happy. Are you with me? Thus it is not a true definition because it does not apply in all cases, or even in most cases. But even if it were true, so many of its elements are undependable and flighty that great multitudes would never really experience this kind of happiness. And few people, if any, would experience it all of their lives if they experienced it even for a short period of time. And so in the case of the second definition, where happiness is defined as the satisfaction of one's desires, we've got to conclude that it's not true and it is not realistic. It's not true because there are those who have everything, every earthly thing that they could desire, that money can buy, and still they are not happy. If this was happiness, it would be unavailable to so many people. And so many have difficulty obtaining what they need, let alone obtaining what they desire. And then one earthly desire fulfilled always creates another earthly desire. And when desire governs and when desire is fed, it becomes a giant whose appetite can never, ever be satisfied. You get a bicycle, you want a car. Get a Chevrolet, you want a Cadillac. 
Get a Cadillac, you want a Mercedes. Get a Mercedes, you say, oh, if I could just have a Bentley. Get a Bentley, I just wish I could have a Rolls Royce. Get a Rolls Royce, you're looking at somebody flying in a private jet. Say, oh, I wish I could have. There's always something else that one can desire. And if your happiness and satisfaction is based on getting all you desire, you'll never be happy. You'll never be satisfied. Proverbs 27 and 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of men are never satisfied. The writer of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 10 said that whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was the portion of my labor. Then I looked on all the works of my hands that wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity. All was vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. He had everything his heart could want. Still, there was vanity and futility in his heart and in his mind. Well, let's consider a third definition of happiness. Happiness is a predominant state and sense of well-being. When things are well and one does not sense it or realize it, then they can't be happy. And when things are not well and one feels or senses that they are well, then his happiness cannot last and it cannot be genuine. Therefore, there must be both a state of predominant well-being and a sense of predominant well-being for true happiness to exist. And I use the word predominant well-being because we cannot fall into the trap that demands that everything be precisely in accordance with our wishes and our desires before we will be happy. I said we can't fall for that trap that insists that everything be happy and everything be fine and everything be precisely in accord with our wishes and desires before we exist. That is an unattainable ideal. Hallelujah. Not even God promises that. Predominant means that in the important areas, all is well. And the good outweighs the bad. And I've got three illustrations of this. The first illustration is the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 and 11, where Paul testified and said to us, I have learned in whatever state or condition I am, therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. So Paul here is saying, uh, not focusing on great miraculous feats performed by the believer through Christ. He's saying, I can endure and be content and happy in the midst of all kinds of trouble 
and deprivation because the predominant factor, Jesus Christ, is strengthening me. Paul said, if I've got Jesus, then I'll be happy and I can deal with whatever I've got to confront on the earth. Paul had a state and a sense of predominant well-being. And in Philippians 3 and 8, Paul said, I count all things but dung are lost. A dung that I, for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, whom I love and whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him. Paul said, if I can win Christ and be found in him, there's no earthly circumstance or earthly condition that I would count to be so overwhelming that it would take away my joy and take away my happiness. The devil can't have my joy. Would somebody say that? The devil can't have my joy. Paul said, if I've got Christ, if I'm found in him, then all is well in my life. The second illustration of this kind of happiness is found in the Beatitudes that were spoken by Jesus Christ. In the Phillips version of the Bible, the Bible says in Matthew 5 and verse 2 or right around verse 2, how happy are those who know their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. How happy are those who know what sorrow means, for they will be given courage and comfort. Happy are those who claim nothing for the whole earth will belong to them. Happy are those who are hungry and thirsty for true goodness, for they shall be fully satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they will have mercy shown to them. Happy are the utterly sincere, for they shall see God. Happy are those who make peace, for they will be known as sons of God. Happy are those who have suffered persecution for the cause of goodness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And what happiness will be yours when people blame you, ill-treat you, say all kinds of slanderous things against you for my sake? Be glad. Yes, be tremendously glad, for your reward in heaven is magnificent. They persecuted the prophets before your time in exactly the same way. Listen, if Jesus says you are happy, you are happy. And Jesus said, though it's rough down here, you've got a reward over there that outweighs everything you've gone through over here. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Listen. It's rough to go through a terrible, typical, hard day where people are talking about you and are misusing you and abusing you, and that would normally make you sad. But if you're going to get $15 million for going through that hard day, you'd be happy all day long. Can I get a witness in here? Oh, this is rough, but I got $15 million waiting on me at the end of the day. It's tough. It's tough, but I've got 50. Listen, you'd be smiling all day long. When I think of the joy of knowing God, having my sins forgiven, knowing I'm on my way to heaven, knowing that this earth is not my home, I'm just passing through. I'm on my way to a better place. I'm happy throughout the day, the week, the year, the life, 
just to know. If you're glad just to know the Lord, clap your hands and give praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. The third illustration of this kind of happiness is found in 2 Kings 4, 26, where a woman had experienced what men would call a tragedy. Her son that she had received in her old age had died. It was called a miracle when she conceived him and when he was born, but then that son died, and the prophet came to see about her and said, how are things going? And she said, it's well. It's all right. What was she saying? I don't have any complaint against God. God gave me the child for a while, and if the Lord saw fit to take the child away, I've got to say, the Lord knows, the Lord's wise, it's all right. And when she said, whatever God does is, is all right, whatever I got to go through, I'm not going to complain about it, I'm not going to fret about it, it is well. In 15 minutes, man of God came along, power of God came over him. He prayed a prayer of deliverance, and that boy set up and was alive and well, turned the child back over to the child's mother, and the mother could rejoice in God because she had enough faith to say, I trust God so much that it's all right whatever God does. This songwriter, the songwriter was encouraged based on this experience to say, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now that's the kind of faith that God is looking for. The kind of faith that says, Lord, I'm just glad to know you and whatever I've got to go through, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to give you glory. Whatever I've got to deal with, I'm just going to be thankful that I know you. I'm going to praise you anyhow. I'm going to be a hallelujah anyhow person. Are there hallelujah anyhow people in the house today? Habakkuk understood this. He found the bedrock of happiness. So when the shallow topsoil of earthly pleasures had washed away, his joy was still firm and his joy was still full. And in Habakkuk 3 and 17, he said, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither be fruit in the vines, and the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, and the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall, yet will I rejoice. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Are there any people here who will rejoice in God anyhow? When it's rough, when it's tough, yet will I rejoice, yet will I praise you, yet will I magnify your name. Lift up your hand and say, yet will I rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I said rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It is God's right to tell us how to live on the earth. God created us. God made this universe. And it is his right to orchestrate and command how we should live on God's earth. And number two, the God who made us understands us and is aware of the principles that make for our happiness. If we follow God's prescription for happiness, we will find happiness. But if we seek our own way, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. 
And number three, God being all wise and knowing the future is alone qualified to plot the correct course for our lives. We cannot see through the future. We cannot see through dark clouds. But if we follow God, God will lead us to a good place. God will lead us to a good destination. But if we turn away from God, we'll find ourselves in the face of destruction and in the face of trouble. And God has done this. In this psalm, God has plotted the course for us, told us how we should live to find happiness. He said, blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It mentions three kinds of sinners. Number one, it talks about ungodly men. Number two, it talks about sinners. And number three, it talks about scornful people. Ungodly, those who are not for God are against God. Ungodly people who don't push themselves in any way to do anything for God are to believe in God. And then sinners are those who practice sin, those who are involved in a sinful lifestyle. And then number three, scornful are those who not only practice sin, but who aggressively proclaim their aversion to God, their aversion to righteousness, and their aversion to righteous people. There are so many scornful people in our society today. They don't mind saying a word against Jesus Christ or against God or against the church or against righteousness. They openly proclaim sinful, perverted lifestyles and feel that everybody ought to give them an applause when they do so. But the Bible says don't hang out with this kind of person. And then as we read Psalm 1, each kind of sinner is progressively worse. Walking, each kind of relationship is also progressively worse. First, he says, don't walk with them. Well, walking at least implies that one may walk away from them or walk in another direction as long as he's on the move. But then now stands in the way of sinners. And so standing is a more permanent position. One is giving a greater amount of attention to the sinful Influence, But then when you sit, now sits in the seat of the scornful, this implies a determination to remain in that setting. And so, child of God, if you're walking with them, don't go any further. Don't, 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 don't stop. Don't, don't stand with them. And certainly don't sit with them because evil companionship will corrupt good manners. And as you hang out with them, you'll find yourself being more and more like them. So the message of the Bible here and in many other scriptures is to avoid companionship with those who do not know the Lord. Don't hang out with people who don't advocate righteous living and a biblical lifestyle. I know you've got to associate with them if they're in your family, if you are around them, but don't just seek people who are not praising God. Find somebody who's trying to live for Jesus. Find somebody who's trying to love the Lord. Find somebody who's reading the Bible and who is consulting with the Lord regarding their life. Two cannot walk together unless they are agreed. And if I don't agree with you, I can't hang with you. I've got to go in another direction because my soul and my spirit require and are seeking the presence and the anointing of Almighty God. Hallelujah. A person involved in evil cannot be happy. He said a person involved in sin cannot be happy. Sin condemns our conscience. 
And if your conscience is condemned, if your conscience does not approve you, you will have no peace. Your conscience will wake you up in the middle of the night saying you're wrong. It will follow you throughout the day saying you're wrong. You may try to drug it. You might try to uh, put alcohol in your body and deaden your conscience and deaden your mind and deaden your heart, but your conscience drunk, staggering, halfway able to stand up, say you're still wrong. You're still wrong. Your conscience will give you no peace. Sin handicaps you. You're handicapped when you try to live a life of sin. Sin separates you from God. And listen, it's hard to live in separation from God, but God can't hang out with sin. Sin deprives your soul. Your soul cannot thrive. Your spirit cannot thrive as long as you practice and are involved in a sinful lifestyle. Your spirit says, listen, I want God. I want righteousness. I need the presence of God. I need the approval of God. I need a relationship with God, and I can't have that relationship as long as sin is standing between you and your God. And so your soul and your spirit reaches out for God. Sin will dehumanize you, and sin will destroy you. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. But happiness is more than just what one does not do. Happiness is what you do. Positively, the text tells us that we've got to do this. But his delight is in the law of the law. And in his law doth he meditate both day and night. And so we should delight in God's word and in God's law because God is all wise. And God knows what is best for us. Psalm 147 and 4 says he counts the number of the stars and he calls them all by name. Great is our God and mighty in power and his understanding is infinite. Listen, we should delight in God's law because God's law is a product of God's wisdom. We don't have enough wisdom to know how to rear our children and guide our children when they go wrong. We don't have enough wisdom to deal with folk that hate us and folk who are trying to destroy us. But the Lord knows and the Lord is all wise. And if we follow him, God will help us to navigate the rapids of life. And so we should delight in his law because he's all wise. We should delight in him because God alone can fulfill the deep cravings of our soul and of our spirit. Nobody can really satisfy us but God. The songwriter said, I cried and I cried, I moaned and I moaned, I searched and I searched, but I just couldn't be contented until I found the Lord. And Augustine said, oh God, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. And so child of God, you should seek God's will and God's law because your soul and your spirit will never be happy until you find God. As the deer panteth for the water brook, so pants my soul for thee, oh God. I cried and I cried. I moaned and I moaned. I searched and I searched, but I just couldn't be contented until I found the Lord. Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We don't have anywhere that we can go to find peace and fulfillment except in the Lord. We should delight in the Lord's law because if you seek after God and seek after the will of God, God will take care 
of everything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If you love God, if you seek God first, God will work it out for you. Can I get a witness in the house? The Lord is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we may ask our thing. And so the Bible explains life from God's perspective. The Bible is God's treasure house. The Bible is God's map revealing the way to find the pearl of great cost. It is as if we were lost in a strange place and then somebody gave us a map that helped us find the way to our destination. God's word is a lamp to our feet. God's word is a light to our pathway. If we follow the map, God will bring us right to our destination. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law does he meditate both day and night. But then he says, you're going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I'm almost through now. A tree gradually develops. It doesn't just pop up overnight, but it grows inch by inch, sometimes over thousands of years. And the Lord says, you're going to grow inch by inch over a long period of time. You're not going to be a flash in the pan. You're not going to appear and disappear. But every day, going to go a little higher. Every day, you're going to be a little more. Every day, you're going to be a little bit better. You're going to be like a tree. A tree is long-lived. Some trees are thousands of years old. They've been on the earth a long time. The devil is not going to take you out. You're going to be like a tree over a long time. God will bring you through. God will bring you over. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings just like an eagle. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Nobody's going to take you out when God is bringing you in. You're going to be like a tree. I said like a tree. A tree provides outgoing benefits. The beast of the field, the birds of the air, nestle in and under the tree to find fruit. He said you'll bring forth your fruit in season. Your leaf also shall not wither. Tell your neighbor your leaf shall not wither. If there's no deprivation at the root, there'll be no withering of the leaf. And the health of the leaf indicates the health of the tree. The leaf takes carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and releases oxygen into the atmosphere. The leaf provides shade. And the Bible said, your leaf is not going to wither. And it goes on to say that whatever you do is going to prosper. Tell your neighbor, whatever you do is going to prosper. Don't worry about where you are or what you're going through. You're planted by rivers of water. God 
is your source. Others may have the same fruit in a different season or the same season, but a different fruit. But that does not mean God is not going to use you in your own special way. God does through you. It's very important. It's a very important thing. I've got to close and take my seats. Whatever you do is going to prosper. You will succeed in whatever you attempt to do. Clap your hands and praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number one, you succeed. I said you succeed, number one, because you do those things that please the Lord. And if you're not succeeding, then check out what you're doing. But the Bible goes on a little bit farther and says, but the ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. They won't stand in the judgment and will not stand before God. But God says, you're going to stand because the Lord knows. I said, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly is going to perish. We stand before an audience of one. Almighty God is judging our lives. Oh yes, he is. People may speak against us. They may try to hinder us. They may try to, may try to block our way, but please God, tell your neighbor, please God. If I can just please God, I know everything is going to be all right. People may evaluate me in a negative way. They may look down on me, but God is judging. He knows, I said he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I'm coming out of this shining like gold. God brought Job out of it, gave Job double everything he had. But Job had a determination. I'm going to come out of this. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, I'm going to come through what I'm going through. When he has tried me, I shall, I shall come forth like gold. Hallelujah. Anyhow, never let your problem get you down. When misfortune comes your way, lift your hand to God and say, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. God sees what you're going through. God sees what you're dealing with. And the Bible says he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we may ask or that we may think. And so my happiness and my joy is not dependent on the amount of money I have in my pocket. I'm not relying on the satisfaction of any earthly desire as the foundation of my happiness. I'm just glad to know the Lord. If I know God, that's all I really need. If God is in my life, he'll take care of everything else. If God is on my side, I know, I know 
that it's going to be all right when you tell your neighbor, neighbor, if God is on my side, it's going to be all right, all right in my mind, all right in my heart, all right in my soul, all right in my home, all right on my job. Hallelujah. Anyhow, I've got something to be thankful for. I said, I've got something to be glad about. I'm glad that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. The angels beckoned me through heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I know it may be rough down here, but down here is not all there is to it. If this earthly house or this tabernacle be dissolved, I've got another building eternal in the heavens, a house not made with hands. And when I finish down here, I'm going up there to be forever in the presence of the Lord. Is anybody on their way to heaven? Just one moment, just one moment in God's kingdom will pay for it all. Will you tell your neighbor, neighbor, just one moment. I know you've got trials. I know you've got tribulation, but just one moment in God's kingdom will pay for it all. And we'll be there for more than a moment when we've been there. 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. I'm so glad I'm on my way to heaven for eternity. I'll be there. I said I'll be there shouting and praising Almighty God. Can I get the church to praise him? Jesus Christ, you've got the Holy Ghost. You've got miracles at your disposal. For whatever you ask in his name, you shall receive it. God is in your life and on your side. And if God be for us, who can be against us? You've got something to shout about. You've got something to praise God for. You've got something to glorify him. You've got Jesus in your life, hallelujah. Oh, bless his name. I've got to stop. The hour is late, but hallelujah. Anyhow, say it one more time, hallelujah. Anyhow.
Hallelujah. 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 Somebody in the room wants to be like that tree planted by the rivers of water bringing forth fruit in season and whatever you do shall prosper would you stand up for me for just a moment I want to appeal to somebody who does not know Jesus Christ somebody who will admit preacher you're right I've got things that I never thought I would possess. Things that I've long desired. But now that I have them, they really don't bring me true happiness. My conscience condemns the things that I would pursue. My conscience rejects and considers wrong some of the things that I do. They have not brought me happiness. I have no peace. I need God in my life. I need my sins forgiven. I need to know that things are well between me and God. I understand that only God can really make me happy. Jesus died for your sins. He arose from the dead. Death is our greatest enemy, our greatest foe. But Jesus defeated death. And if he defeated death, Jesus can do in your life anything that needs to be done. You need to be saved. You need your sins forgiven. You should never try to live on this earth without God of heaven and of earth, the God of eternity. Now I want to pray for somebody. I'll pray for you right where you stand, right where you are. Every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven. Placed on Jesus and his righteousness can be placed on you. So that when God looks at you, he'll see the righteousness of God. I want to pray for you, brother. I want to pray for you, sister. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine providence. God brought you here to save you and to forgive you and to transform your life. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you would say, preacher, I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I'll pray for you right where you stand, right where you are. Every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven. But I need to know your desire prayer. If you would say, preacher, pray for me. I want to be saved. Lift that hand if that's you. I'll pray for you right where you are. God will come into your life. Your life will never, ever be the same. Lift that hand and let me pray for you. Pray for me, preacher. I want Jesus to come into my life. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. There are at least 10 more people who need to raise their hands as they were saying, preacher, pray for me. I want to give my life to the Lord Jesus. I want to be saved. God bless you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you said confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. 
The Bible says, if we confess our sins, you're just and faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, your word promised that you would do this, and we believe it, dear Lord. I pray that the sins of every individual whose hand is uplifted and those who should have lifted their hands are those who will even now lift their hands, that it will be forgiven, that you'll come into their hearts and that you'll cleanse them by your blood, that you'll forgive them and receive them as your own dear children. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even as many as believe on his name. Repeat this prayer after me, everybody. Dear Lord, I'm sorry for all of my sins. Forgive me for the wrong I've done. I want to be saved. I believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you arose from the dead. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to you. And I thank you, Lord. I am forgiven. I thank you, Lord. I'm saved. I thank you, Lord. I have new life. Praise the Lord for new life. Praise the Lord for salvation. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.